thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. How do you effectively minister to people? That's a question that a lot of Christians are asking. It's a question really that all of us as Christians should be asking because all of us have been called by God to minister to people and we should want to know how do we do that effectively? How do we do that biblically? Well, there have been a lot of books written on this topic of how to effectively minister to people. There's been a lot of teaching on this topic. And and really, you can take the books and the teachings and kind of separate them into two main categories. And those categories would be ones that are answering that question with man's wisdom and those that are answering that question with God's wisdom. Here in chapter 2, Paul's going to really answer this question, how do you effectively minister? But he's going to do it by answering it with God's wisdom. He's going to give us a biblical perspective on how to minister to people. And this is important for us for two reasons. First, so that hopefully we will apply this, we will do this, we will be more effective in ministering to people. But second, that we would be aware of what is biblical and what isn't. Because as I said, there are so many books in the church world today that are writing on this topic, but they're coming from a philosophical premise that is very worldly, that is man's wisdom, and we need to be able to determine what the scriptures say versus what's just the opinion of people. Last week, we started looking at this second issue that was causing divisions there in Corinth. And the issue was that we have this division coming because there are some people who are following the wisdom of men and there are others following the wisdom of God. And so Paul starts this contrast of showing the difference with it. And he uses the most important message of all, the gospel message, the message of the cross. And he shows that, hey, there's a huge difference between how the world sees the message of the cross through their wisdom versus how God God sees it. The world looks at the message of the cross as foolishness. They don't believe it. They don't hold to it. But God says it's the power of his wisdom to save people from their sins. And so in chapter one, Paul focuses on the message of the cross and dealing with this contrast between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. And as we come here to chapter two, Paul's continuing to deal with this contrast of man's wisdom versus God's wisdom, but he's going to do it by focusing on how to effectively minister to people. Contrast the wisdom of men, which ultimately makes us ineffective in ministering to people, versus the wisdom of God, which makes us truly effective in ministering to people. So what Paul shares here in chapter 2 is very applicable. It's very important for us to understand so that we can grasp how to effectively and to biblically minister to people. And Paul's going to give us some wonderful foundational truths for that. So let's see what we can learn here 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with uh, persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
Paul came to the city of Corinth on his second missionary journey. And if you remember, as we studied through the book of Acts, he stayed there for a year and a half. And he's now reminding these believers how he did come to them and also how he did not come to them. He did come to them through the wisdom of God. He did not come to them with the wisdom of man. And so Paul starts off focusing on how he didn't come. He says, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with excellence of speech or or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. You know, in man's wisdom, if you want to effectively get across a message, then you better share it with excellence of speech. You know, many of the books that talk about, you know, how to effectively minister to people, this is a huge emphasis, you know, excellence of speech, the, the way in which you communicate. This is so important if you want to reach people with your message. They put this huge emphasis and dependence on excellence of speech. So according to these books, Paul's ministry in Corinth would have been ineffective. It should have been a total failure because he says, I didn't come with excellence of speech. Paul didn't come to the Corinthians like a salesman. He came to them as an ambassador. The difference between a salesman and an ambassador is a a salesman's trying to sell a particular point. We've all had them come to our door. We've all encountered them. Whatever you want to hear, they're going to tell you because they want to sell you something. What these salesmen are doing is they're, they're using human wisdom. They're using clever speech to try and persuade you. You know, when I worked for preventive pest control, uh, every month they would tell us, you know, we want our sales to go up. We want you guys to do better. So we're going to do some training on how to sell. And the focus of every training had to do with what we say and the way in which we say it. They would say, you know, that's the key. How you say what you say is going to determine whether you make the sale or whether you don't. Uh, and they would say, never ask a question that the customer can say no to. So you weren't to say, would you like to sign up for preventive pest control? Because they could say, no, we wouldn't like to sign up. So instead we'd say, hey, let's get you signed up today. Would Tuesday work for us to come out for our first thing? You know, there was all this kind of the way in which you word it so you can never give them an opportunity to say no. It was just clever speech, human wisdom to try to make a sale. That's what salesmen do. But an ambassador is not like that. An ambassador just has a specific message from the king who sent him. He's not there to tell you what you want to hear. He's there to tell you what he's been given to declare to you. Paul was an ambassador with a message from God, and he declared that message to these Corinthians. But he didn't declare it as some salesman trying to use clever, persuasive speech in order to get them to believe it. He just shared the true message of the gospel the way that God designed it to be shared. Notice in verse 2 it says, He determined not to know anything among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul wasn't depending on human wisdom. He wasn't depending on his own ability to communicate and minister to the Corinthians. Now, as we looked at Paul's life, as we looked through the book of Acts, he was a man with a lot of human wisdom, a lot of ability, you know, a lot of experience. I mean, he could have relied upon those things, but he didn't come with that. He didn't come with a reliance upon those things. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was focused on one message, the message of Jesus, the message of the cross, which we noted last week is the wisdom of God. It's the power of God to save people from their sins. So Paul says, I only came with the wisdom of God, not my own wisdom. Verse three says he was with the Corinthian believers in weakness and fear and in much trembling. 
So not only did Paul not depend on his own human wisdom, on his own human abilities, but he recognized the limitation and inability that he actually had within himself. He says, you know, he came to them in weakness. He came to them in fear. He came to them in much trembling. G. Campbell Morgan, a great preacher, said this, So great was Paul's sense of weakness and fear, and so profound his lack of trust in himself that he quaked, he trembled. These are the secrets of strength in all preaching. You know, man's wisdom says you need to be confident in yourself if you want to be effective in ministry. God's wisdom says put no confidence in yourself and place all your confidence in him if you want to be effective in ministry. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You know, our problem so often when we seek to be effective in ministry is we're depending on our might, our power, our ability, our training, our, 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 you can list what it is instead of recognizing it's not about us, it's about him. It's about the strength and power of God and being dependent on that if we want to truly make an eternal impact on people's lives. So our confidence shouldn't be in our might or our power, but in the spirit of God. Paul goes on to say in verse four that his speech and his preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. Now, don't want to misunderstand what Paul is saying here. He's not against persuasive preaching. He's not saying, oh, persuasive preaching is so bad and you should never seek to do it. His sermon before Agrippa, as we saw in Acts chapter 22, was a very persuasive message. It was a very well put together message. So Paul isn't rejecting persuasive preaching. Notice he's rejecting a reliance of the preacher to persuade with human wisdom. He says, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. That's the key. It's not that persuasive preaching's bad. It's persuasive preaching that's using human wisdom to be persuasive. If you're using God's wisdom to be persuasive, wonderful, you should. But Paul's making this contrast of what are you relying on? Are you relying on human wisdom to persuade? Or are you relying on God's wisdom and the spirit of God to persuade and impact people? Paul says, my preaching was not with persuasive words, but instead it was in demonstration of the spirit and power. Paul knew it was the preacher's job to preach, but ultimately it's the Holy Spirit's job to change lives. It's the evangelist's job to proclaim the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit's job ultimately to change the life. You know, we oftentimes feel like we have the Holy Spirit's job. I know as a pastor, you know, for years I'd feel like, you know, it's my job to change people. No, it's not. It's my job to proclaim the truth. You know, when I share the gospel, it's my job to save people. No, it's not. It's my job to proclaim the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit's job to take the truth of his word and to take the truth of the gospel and to transform lives. That is not your job. That is not my job. That is his job. And I hope that's freeing to you because that's not your responsibility. You're just to be God's mouthpiece to declare truth, to declare the gospel. You leave the moving of people's lives and the transformation of their lives in his hands because he's the only one who can do it. Anyway, he's the only one who can convict. He's the only one who can change. He's the one who's capable of that, not us. So it's not how wonderfully eloquent we share. It's not how, you know, well we communicate. Ultimately, it comes down to the power of God moving and preparing people. That's what's going to ultimately change them. Paul knew this. 
And so he didn't care that his preaching may not have been impressive or persuasive from a human perspective because he knew on a spiritual level it had power. You know, a great example of this, if you've ever read through church history, Jonathan Edwards uh, is, a, is a well-known preacher. He's best well uh, known for his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And if you read through church history of the impact this sermon had on the people who listened to it, it was quite profound. But then if you read about this man himself, you think, wow, how in the world did he make such an impact? Because we're told of Jonathan Edwards that he was quite a small gentleman with a very high-pitched voice, and he had poor eyesight and he would actually write out his whole sermon and because he had poor eyesight he would hold paper right in front of his face with a little lamp and he would read with this high-pitched voice the sermon to the people now that is pretty much breaking every public speaking rule there is i mean you know just standing there like this you can't see anyone they can't see you in this high-pitched voice you just read the you know the sermon to them and you would think surely no one came no one listened no one was impact because you know in man's wisdom there's no way someone like that is going to make any type of real significant impact on people well when you read of his sermons We're told that people listening were so convicted by the Holy Spirit that they were holding on to the pews and the pillars of the churches for fear of going to hell. You know, God just moved through this man who broke every public speaking rule and just said, you know what, through the simple teaching of the word and the truth of the word, I am going to move and impact lives. And we need to recognize it wasn't excellence of speech. It wasn't persuasive words that moved. It was the spirit of God that moved and that had power. Paul preached the gospel with the wisdom of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, not the wisdom of men, which ultimately has no true power to change lives. Now, if you get the privilege to communicate the word of God to people, I would encourage you. It's good to be prepared. It's good to know and understand what you're going to share with them. It's important to seek to do it in a clear and understandable way. But don't miss the point. That is not what is most important. The most important thing to understand is it's through the spirit of God that lives are going to be changed. Not how prepared, not how good you are, not how eloquent you are, not how, you know, whatever you are, ultimately trust in the fact that you need the power of God's Spirit to move through His Word, not through your whatever ability. When we think it's about us, when we think it's about our charisma, our personality, our intelligence, our education, our delivery, not only do we miss the point of what it's truly about, but we can actually get in the way of what God wants to do because it's you know we're so focused on ourselves, we miss and hinder the move of what God wants to do. Verse 5, Paul reveals why it's so important for him to present the gospel in this way. He says that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is so important for us to understand how we present the gospel, how we present the word of God will impact the response of our listeners. It will impact what they're putting their faith in. If you're using man's wisdom to minister to people, ultimately those people are going to put their faith in man's wisdom. If you're using the wisdom and power of God, ultimately the people you're ministering to are going to put their faith in the wisdom and power of God. When a preaching strategy is centered around the wisdom of men, centered around emotional responses, centered around gimmicks and entertainment, the preacher may get a response from the crowd, but he will not get lasting results for the kingdom of God. 
You know, it's really not that hard to get a response from a group of people that you're sharing with. You just entertain them. You tell a lot of funny jokes. You tell some heartwarming stories, maybe even shed a few tears, even if it's not real sincere. But you, know, you do things to, to draw on people's emotions, and you can get a response from people then when you do that, but it doesn't mean you're going to get true results for the kingdom of God. You know, Charles Finney, a great preacher and leader in the Second Great Awakening in the U.S., he wrote an article titled, Preaching So As to Convert Nobody. He wrote all these rules, these rules of if you preach like this or do this, guess what? You won't convert anyone. You won't change anyone. No one's going to you know, become saved or, or living for God. And I found these rules very interesting as I was reading through them. He actually wrote 67. I'm just going to share a couple with you. But as I read through them, I realized, you know what? There are people writing books today that are taking these rules, but they're saying, this is the way to preach. This is how you should do it in our day and age. He's saying, if you preach like this, you'll never convert anyone, kind of writing, this is what you shouldn't do. And they're taking these same types of ideas today and saying, wow, this is the way in which we should declare the word of God, declare the gospel. I want to note some of them for you so you can kind of see what I'm talking about here. Number one, aim to make your hearers pleased with themselves and pleased with you and be careful not to wound the feelings of anyone. Very much the mindset of many today. Do not commit yourself to much needed reforms lest you should compromise your popularity and injure your influence. If your text suggests any alarming thought, pass lightly over it and by no means dwell upon it and enforce it. You know, sadly, there is such a push today in the church world not to say anything that would offend anyone. You know, we don't want to offend people and we want to stay popular. And that's the the sad reality of a lot of people in the pulpit today. But here's something that we need to understand. The gospel and God's word is offensive to sinners. That is a reality. So if you don't want to offend people and you just want to be popular, you will never proclaim the gospel and you will never proclaim the truth of God's word. You might pick and choose things that you don't think are offensive, but you will not proclaim the truth of God's word. Number four, denounce sin in the abstract, but make no allusion to the sins of your present audience. Preach the gospel as a remedy, but conceal or ignore the fatal disease of the sinner. Say so little of hell that your people will infer that you do not believe in in its existence. You know, there's a growing move within the church that says, you know what, if you want to be an effective preacher, effective minister, don't talk about sin and don't talk about hell because people don't want to hear that they're sinners going to hell. That's offensive and so don't do it. Well, I agree. There are people who don't want to hear that they're sinners that are going to hell. But guess what? They need to hear that they're sinners going to hell because unless they know that, then they don't know that they have a Savior that they can believe in and escape the punishment of hell. You know, when I was pastoring in Scotland, man, the the bookstores there were even worse than here. And the, the most popular ones were just full of, you know, worldly philosophies and junk and nonsense. And they were the most popular ones. I'd meet up with different pastors. Oh, have you read this book? And I'm like, really, you're reading that? And you're trying to put it into practice? And it was just so sad. And I remember a pastor friend of mine, you know, and I, we would talk and joke and, and just say, you know, we can make a lot of money writing books like this with all these gimmicks to get people to come to your church and to get people to respond. And we 
thought and we said, you know what? We could write a book and co-author it together and we could title it Beer Sunday, How to Grow Your Church One Keg at a Time because people in Scotland love to drink. And we thought, you know what? If we wrote a book and we told pastors, hey, just offer free beer, I guarantee people would come. Well, the truth is people would come. You would get results. There would be people who come. But the whole point is, would you get any true results for the kingdom of God? See, there's a lot of people coming up with gimmicks, what's more subtle than beer Sunday, but the end is still the same. They might get a response, but they will not get results for the kingdom of God. It's only through the power of God that lasting results for his kingdom truly happen. Alan Redpath, a great pastor and evangelist, said this, The church has never had better machinery Yet it also has never been so helplessly ineffective in meeting the problems of its day. Yeah, we have so much to offer in worldly entertainments and things in the church and gimmicks. And you say, oh, we've had so much machinery today to do so much. But he brings up such a powerful truth that we have not been so helplessly ineffective in meeting the problems of our day. You know, people might come to these experiences, they might enjoy the experience kind of like they enjoy a good movie, but their spiritual needs have not been met, their lives have not been changed. An important principle to understand is what you draw people with is what you will draw people to. That's ultimately what Paul is saying here in verse 5, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If I try to draw you with the wisdom of men, guess what? I'm going to draw you to the wisdom of men. But if I try to draw you with the wisdom of God, I'm going to draw you to the wisdom of God. And there are people who think, I can draw with the wisdom of men and then point to the God, but it doesn't work that way. You need to draw with the wisdom and power of God and his spirit if you want to point people to him. You know, you look at the church in Acts, as we did, it wasn't full of gimmicks and programs like we see today. They were relying on the power of the Spirit of God. They were relying on the true message of the gospel. They were relying on God's word to see people moved and impacted. And God added to the church daily those who were being saved. That is the pattern that we should be following in the church today. So Paul came to the Corinth. He didn't rely on human wisdom. He didn't rely on excellence of speech, sales tactics, He relied upon God's wisdom and clearly preached the simple gospel message in the power of the Holy Spirit. And because it was God's wisdom and because it was filled with God's power, lives were eternally transformed and changed. And people's faith weren't in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. So Paul didn't preach in human wisdom, but he wants to make real clear that doesn't mean that he didn't use wisdom in his preaching. His message wasn't without wisdom. It was full of wisdom. It was just full of the wisdom of God. But he reveals that there's only a certain group of people that really gets, understands, receives the wisdom of God. And those are the people who are believers in God. The message of the gospel is wise, but only to those who are Christians, those who receive it and understand that as we looked at last week. And so It's full of God's wisdom. It's just only those who have the spirit of God dwelling in them recognize the wisdom of the message. 
And the reason Paul, or the reason they don't recognize the wisdom of God, Paul says, is it came in a mystery. Now, this word mystery in the Bible is an important word for us to understand, to know, you know, because we use the word mystery today in kind of a different way than the Bible uses it. When we use the word mystery, we typically think of something that no one can figure out, something that no one knows, kind of that murder mystery, who did it? Well, I don't know who did it. That's why it's a mystery. And we also think once you know the answer, it's not a mystery anymore. If you used to play the game Clue, it's like, oh, yeah, it was the butler. He did it with the knife, you know, in, well, the library. You know, you come up with the answer. Now I know the mystery. It's no longer a mystery. But that's not what the word mystery in the Bible is speaking about. The Greek word translated mystery means a hidden secret thing that is revealed by God. A hidden secret thing that is revealed by God. So the biblical understanding of a mystery is you could know something or you might not know something, but the most important thing to realize is you would never know it unless God revealed it to you. The only way that you can grasp it, the only way that you can understand it is if God reveals that spiritual truth to you. So Paul says this mystery, this secret that can only be known by the revelation from God, this was hidden, this wisdom from God. People didn't grasp it until the Spirit of God revealed it to them. This is another reason why Paul didn't preach in his own wisdom, why Paul didn't preach in his own power, because he realized it doesn't have any power. What's the point of preaching in my own wisdom and power? Because I realized there needs to be a supernatural revelation in order for people to grasp spiritual truth. You see, the message of the gospel is a spiritual message, and so we need the Spirit of God to reveal it. And when we miss that, we start depending on human wisdom and our own abilities because we miss, well, wait a second, it's a spiritual message. And so unless the Spirit of God moves, then people aren't going to understand and be changed. Verse 8 tells us, The rulers of this age didn't know the mystery of the gospel, which is obvious because if they did know it, they wouldn't have killed the Messiah. If they knew that Jesus was coming and who he was and that he was dying on the cross for their sin, then they, they wouldn't have killed him. But Paul goes on to say, they didn't get it, but the Spirit of God did reveal his truth to other people. Notice what he says in verses 9 through 11. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Paul here starts off quoting from Isaiah 64, verse 4, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. This verse is almost always quoted with a reference to heaven, speaking about heaven. Oh, eye has not seen what heaven's going to be like. Ear has not heard what heaven's going to be like. It has not come into the heart of man what heaven is going to be like. And most often people use it to speak of that, which is completely out of context because this isn't speaking about heaven at all. Adam Clark, a pastor and commentator, says this about this verse. The words have applied to the state of glory in a future world, but certainly they belong to the present state and expressed merely the wondrous light, life, and liberty which the gospel communicates to them that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in that way which the gospel itself requires. 
So this verse is not speaking about heaven, which hasn't been revealed. It's actually speaking about earth and the gospel, sorry, uh, that has been revealed. And verse 10 gives us the context, and that's always key. Whenever you take a verse by itself out of context, that's when you can start making it mean something it doesn't. Notice what verse 10 says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Well, God hasn't revealed to us heaven. We don't know what that's going to be like in that sense, but he has revealed to us the gospel and the truth of what Jesus has done and the uh, what happens because of that. So God, uh, Paul's not speaking about the glory of heaven, which hasn't been revealed. He's speaking about the glory of the gospel, which has been revealed through the Holy Spirit. And Isaiah, when you look at chapter 64, he's not speaking about heaven either. You know, he's speaking about this mystery that's coming through the Messiah. Now, I want you to picture the old covenant and realize that they had no comprehension of what we would receive in Jesus Christ. Not just, okay, salvation of sins, that was something that they were waiting for a savior, but they didn't realize all the benefits that would come for believing in Jesus. Now, picture them. They, in Judaism, they have one man, the high priest, one time of year gets to be in the holy of holies, the presence of God. One guy, one time of year gets that privilege. They had no concept concept that in a relationship with Jesus, you at any point in time could come into God's presence, that you wouldn't have to be the high priest. You could be anyone who believes in Jesus. It wouldn't have to just be one day. It could be any time that you choose. I mean, that was something that was just beyond their comprehension in the Old Testament of the privilege that we would have. And that's just one. I mean, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, being adopted as God's children. I mean, all these different things, it was a mystery that they didn't grasp the depth of what Jesus Christ and the gospel would do for them, uh, but the Spirit of God had to reveal it. He had to help us grasp, wow, look at what you get by believing in Jesus. It's not just salvation from your sin, which is amazing. It's so much more. God has revealed to us through his Spirit this wonderful mystery of the gospel and of the wonderful blessings it brings to our life. So the main point of what Paul is saying here is it's only through the Holy Spirit that we could get this. Only through the Holy Spirit can we grasp God's truth. The gospel message, the word of God, it's unattainable by human wisdom. A lot of people think, well, if you're just super smart, you can get it. There's a lot of super smart people reading the Bible. They have no clue about it because it's a spiritual book. They need the spirit of God to help them grasp it. But notice what Paul says in verse 11. No one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, this is a very interesting statement that Paul makes here. He's arguing from a Greek philo- uh, philosophic premise, which is like is only known by something like it. And give, let me give you an example to try to help you understand what he means here. If you have a dog, here's a picture of a dog. His eyes are moving. It's kind of weird. But you can guess what your dog is thinking. You can think, you know, he's happy. You can guess he's sad. You know, he wants to eat that cat over there. I mean, you can guess what your dog is thinking. But you can't know because you're not a dog. The only way that you would truly know what your dog was thinking was if he could communicate in human words that you could understand and tell you what he was thinking. So like can only be known by something like it. In the same way, we can guess what God is thinking. We can guess about God's wisdom. But you know what? We could never know what God is. We can never know his wisdom unless he chose to reveal it to us in a way that we could understand. And that's exactly what he did. He became one of us. 
so that he could live among us, so he could reveal himself to us, so he could speak in a way that we could grasp and, and reveal through his word in a language that we could understand. He made the way for us to grasp who he is. So in our human wisdom, we have never understood the wisdom of God. It had to be revealed to us through his spirit. When we're born again, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, notice Paul says, and enables us to understand the deep things of God. And what a wonderful, wonderful privilege. The Spirit of God helps us to know the deep things of God. You see, biblical insight is only available with spiritual eyesight. And that only comes through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God enables the people of God to understand the Word of God. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Paul says, as Christians, we didn't receive the spirit of this world. We received the spirit and power from God. And one of the reasons God gave us his spirit is so that we could know the things that God wants us to know, to be freely given to us. So the only way to know the things of God, the only way to have them freely given is through the spirit of God. He reveals them to us. But notice Paul says, these things which have been freely given, that's what we speak about. Paul was not using man's wisdom once again to teach this. He's speaking from the spirit and to with God's wisdom. He finishes the chapter with this. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. But they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For he who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Paul ends a chapter helping us to understand the difference between the natural man and the spiritual man. Paul tells us two things about the natural man, which is a person who ultimately doesn't have the Spirit of God with them. The natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. And the reason he doesn't receive them is their foolishness to him. So that's the first thing. The natural man, he doesn't even want, he thinks everything about the Spirit of God are just foolishness, but... There's something even more significant. The second thing we're told is a natural man can't know. There's a part of him that doesn't even want to know, but he can't know the things of the Spirit of God unless the Spirit of God would reveal him to him. See, these things are spiritually discerned, and he can't discern them. Why? Because he doesn't have the Spirit of God within him to do it. Now, let's say I wanted to send you a encouraging text message, so I type it out, I put in your phone number, I hit send... The problem is you lost your cell phone. It happens to some of us. Without your cell phone, you have no capacity to receive my text because you need that cell phone in order to receive that text and get that message from me. In the same way, you can't receive a spiritual message without the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is like a spiritual cell phone. When God is speaking, the only way to receive it, the only way to understand it, is if the Spirit of God is there dwelling in you and revealing these things to you. So the natural man, which is what all of us were before we accepted Christ, they can't know the things of God unless the Spirit of God reveals it. 
But the spiritual man is different than the natural man because a spiritual man can know the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God dwells in him. Something that's so important for us to realize is the moment that we accepted Christ, the Bible says we were filled with the Spirit of God. And now the Spirit of God, we have that access to Him to understand spiritual truth, to understand what God wants to reveal to us. And I think we need to get something in our minds because I see so many Christians missing this. God does not want you to spiritually be in the dark. He wants you to understand Him. He wants you to know Him. Uh, There's so many people that think, oh, you know, the, the best way to know God is to go to Bible college or, or go to seminary. And yeah, that's a good thing, but that's not the best way to know God. The best way to know God is to be filled with the Spirit because He's the one who reveals who He is to you. You have what you need to understand God. You know, people say to me, oh, I wish I knew the Bible like you, Pastor. Well, then study it. I don't have some kind of, you know, brain power or capacity beyond you What enables me to know the word of God is the spirit of God, the same spirit that you have. You want to know God's word? The reason you don't is because you're not spending time in it. It's not because, you know, you, you, you don't have something that I have. Invest in it. Study it. God wants to reveal himself to you. He doesn't want us to be Christians that are just kind of like, I'm clueless. No, he, he, he gives you your, his spirit because he says, I want you to know me. I gave you my word because I want you to know it. It's all there. If you read it and study it, I will reveal the truth to you. I will help you to grasp it and I will help you to apply it to your life. The challenge for us is we just need to invest time into it. Knowing and trusting it's the spirit of God that's going to reveal that. It's not because I'm so smart. It's not because of this or that. No, God's going to help me understand it because his spirit is there with me to give me that knowledge. We need to recognize that. The gospel is a spiritual message. The Bible is a spiritual book. And to understand either, we need the Holy Spirit to reveal those things to us. So before you study the Bible, make a sincere, honest prayer of, Lord, I recognize I need your help. I do that every single time I'm studying personally or studying to teach. Lord, I need your spirit to reveal truth to me because without you, I know I can't get it. And when before you're going to share the gospel, make sure you're praying for the person you're going to share with, understanding, Lord, I know that if you're not moving in this person's life, that they're just going to be blind, that they're not going to get it. They're not going to be able to accept it. You need to move. I pray that you would move in their heart We're told the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Lord, do that in this person so that they might come to the knowledge of the truth. So the third issue in Corinth that was causing divisions where there were people in the church not relying upon the Spirit of God to understand the wisdom of God. Instead, they were relying upon their own wisdom to try and understand the wisdom of God, and it wasn't working. Well, the solution to this issue in the third lesson we're given on how to avoid divisions is you must rely upon the Spirit of God to enable you to understand the wisdom of God revealed in His Word. I started with the question, how can we be effective in ministry? If you want to be effective in ministry, you must rely upon the Spirit of God and the wisdom of God, not on yourself and not on your wisdom. This is one, I think, the, one of the biggest areas where people in ministry struggle with being effective is because they put so much dependence and reliance upon themselves and do not depend and rely upon the Spirit of God where there is true power, where there is true ability to change lives. 
If you want to see your life changed, if you want to see other people's lives changed, if you want to see people come to know Jesus, if you want to see our church make a significant impact in this community, then we need the Spirit of God to move in power. That's the only way it's going to happen. God's Spirit's got to move if we want to see a great move of God. Can I have the worship team come on up? You know, I want to close this morning taking some time just to ask God to fill us with the Spirit. To pray that the Holy Spirit would move in our lives personally, move in the lives of our family, our friends. That if there are particular people that you've been praying about to receive the gospel, that you would pray that the Lord would move in their hearts. That he would remove the blinders, that he remove the lies of this world that tells them they don't need a Savior, they can earn their way to salvation. That they would come to a recognition that they're sinners in need of a Savior. And so I just want to take some time just to come before the Lord and just ask personally, ask as a church that we would be more effective in reaching our community. But just to pray that God's Spirit uh, would empower us and move in us and move in people that we want to see moved. And so I'm going to leave it open for whoever um, would like to pray, and then I'm going to close this, and then we'll finish with the song.